There's that QR code again <laughs> if you need it. <laughs> Kindle love. Kindle love. Oh, that sounds. It should already be recording. Yep. So it does that automatically. Thank you for asking. So Jesus' outline of Revelation. By the time we're done with Revelation, you're going to have this memorized. That's my goal, if you don't know anything else. So Jesus' outline of Revelation is pretty simple. It's right what was seen, Jesus glorified, Revelations chapter 1, specifically 9 through 20. Write what is, the seven churches, Revelations 2 through 3. Write what will be, Jesus' judgment in the seven seals, trumpets, and bowls, Revelation 4 through 22. So that's what he gives in Revelation 1, 19, okay? So just, so we tonight are beginning what is, and we're starting with the church of Ephesus. So turn to Revelation chapter, oh my word, I did the unforgivable. It is not Revelations. I don't know why I put an S there, but get rid of the S. It's Revelation 2. One through seven. There we go. Typo. All right. So, subtitle, How to Love While Enduring Persecution and Defending the Faith. How to Love While Enduring Persecution and Defending the Faith. Okay? Actually, it's very hard to love when you are being reviled. It's very hard to love when somebody's saying something nasty to you, Right? Right? It's hard to love. And oftentimes we can be faithful to God and, and have our faith in God, but not very loving. Maybe to those around us, right? Sometimes not very loving to him. How could you do this to me? We say. It's so unfair. Don't you love me? Don't you care? So we are going to talk tonight about kindling love in the midst of persecution and defense of the faith. Defense of the faith, apologetics. You're talking to somebody. They don't agree with you. They have some other opinion about a doctrine of the faith. We are called to love in that conversation. That's hard. And Jesus has words for us. He commends us for defending the faith. He commends us for, for enduring patiently. Wow, that's, I use that word, I know. Enduring patiently. All right. I'm getting ahead of myself. So we're going to go to Revelations. Revelation. I think I don't know how many times I'm going to do that tonight. I don't know why I'm doing that. Revelation 2.1. Don't need your Bibles. I'll look at the screen, but... Be good to have your Bible open because I'm going to be bouncing back and forth a little bit, re-referring to it when the slide's not up there. So if you have your Bible and you can see the verse, that's going to help you. But it, it'll be there at least for the reading, okay? Revelation 2.1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. All right? All right, so I want you to understand this. So there's an object lesson here. 
There was a lampstand here and there was a lamp. Okay? In Revelation, there were two separate things. In Revelation, the lampstand represents what? Anybody know? The churches. Yeah, Wednesday night people would know. Yeah, they represent the churches. Okay, now, we have to read uh, Revelation 4, 5 and 5, 6. But what does, what does uh, the lamp stand for? Yeah, the Holy Spirit, okay? So this is important as we're talking through and Jesus' uh, uh, consequences that he talks about, understanding. The lampstand represents what? The church. The, the lamp that sits on the lampstand represents who? The Holy Spirit. And those seven lamps, which represent the seven attributes of this Holy Spirit, okay? Okay, I just want to make sure you understand this. So we have seven stars in his right hand. The seven stars are, in verse 20, the seven angels, right? Uh, angels to the seven churches. And I have a disclaimer. I missed a verse that was semi-important on Wednesday night, uh, Revelation 3.1, which actually talks about the seven stars in Jesus' right hand and the seven spirits before the throne of God in the same sentence. So if it's putting them in the same sentence, it's talking about two different things. So in my opinion, the seven spirits before the throne of God is the Holy Spirit and the seven stars in the right hand are the angels to the seven churches. Angels that are in charge of a church. Okay? Not pastors, but angels. Spirits. Okay? Now, they bring messages. That's, that's what they're doing to the angel, the, the, the messenger. And the, that's their job description. All right? So, the city of Ephesus. What is the city of Ephesus known for? It's worshipped over 50 pagan gods. Over 50, right? And uh, as we look in Scripture, the citizens of Ephesus rioted over Christians. Great is the God of, Om uh, of Automaeus because they were losing money because there was a lot of Christians, uh, uh, pagans, uh, Ephesians coming to faith, and they quit buying idols, right? So there's a huge riot. Paul fights beasts, according to 1 Corinthians, in Ephesus. So they have probably a coliseum in Ephesus, and Paul was maybe had to go in there and fight them. It's pretty crazy. Okay? Now, we got some local art going on, so you're going to see some cool uh, drawings. Um, Ginger drew, I think it was Ginger, right? Yep. Ginger drew the seven lampstands and the previous picture, uh, I think Anna or Hope drew. So, um, whose words are being written? Look at you. You have the whose? Well, yeah, God's, but specifically, it's the one who holds the seven stars and the one who has is in the midst of the seven lampstands. So who's that? It's Jesus. These are Jesus's words, which is God, but. Yeah, they're Jesus' words. So let's hear. Let's pay attention, right? Because this, is, this isn't my stuff. I mean, I, I guess it's my interpretation of it but or my take on it. So it's Jesus' words being written. So what do the seven stars represent? We already did this. 
the angels, yeah. And what do the seven lampstands represent? The church, yeah. And if you want to know a proof text for that, Revelation 120, okay? Oh, man. I'm very thirsty. Jesus says, I know your works and your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. He's saying, good job, right? Awesome. He's commending them. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. My jaw's on the floor, by the way. This is amazing. I mean, come on. I get a stomachache, and I grow weary, right? These guys are being persecuted for the sake of the cross, and it's not just light persecution. I, I mean, we are so lightly persecuted, it's like a joke. I mean, we're really not persecuted, right? But these guys are really getting ground, and Jesus is saying, good job. Good job. You, you're staying faithful. You're, you're staying tight with me, right? So Jesus' commendation of them. They have toil and endurance with patience and persecution without weariness. Wow, I'm a little jealous. They're being patient. They're enduring well. They're keeping focused on the cross. They're keeping focused on, on what God is doing, right? They're not saying, oh, God, why are you doing this to me? Matthew 5, 10 through 11 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. These guys have the right perspective. And, and Jesus is commending them. For that. He's saying, good job. They cannot bear with evil people. They can, and they defend the faith. They test. They test these false apostles. And they say, you're not an apostle. That's who eat, right? You're not from God. First John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God or for from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test. So they're defending the faith, and they're doing it well. They're, 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 they're perse persevering. They have correct doctrine. <laughs> Good theology. They're solid on their theology. I don't like butts. Butts are no fun. You know, you ever have a conversation with somebody and, and they're saying all oh, a bunch of nice things and then they say that word? A conversation with your boss and then they say that word? But, and you're like, oh, great. Now what? That's a probably not a good attitude. But <laughs> see, there it is. Jesus says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. 
Jesus has something against them. They're doing great. They're persevering. They're waiting patiently. They're, they're doing it without weariness. They're defending the faith well. But he has something against them. They forgot love. They forgot love. Do we forget love? Sometimes we do. We forget love. They forgot it. They had abandoned it. In fact, they were really ready to just take out the next guy who persecuted them. The Lord's vengeance be on you, they were saying. They had stopped being winsome. Representing that God loves the lost. God loves the sinner. That's what we're called to do. To love. So Jesus' rebuke is they have abandoned first love. They had left it behind. They had forgotten about it. They weren't practicing it. I have this against you. You forgot love, church. And as individuals, we make up the church. And so this is to us to say, yeah, we need to think about love. Now, what kind of love do we need to think about? Well, there is seven <laughs> areas of love to consider. Seven. The number of? We're in Revelation, so the number... Or the number of the churches. It's a symbolic number that means whole, complete. Okay? It, can, it does represent the Holy Spirit in the sense of those seven uh, lamps, right? And seven eyes, right? And seven spirits, right? So, but it's, the number itself means wholeness and complete, okay? So, seven areas of love to consider. And we're, we're going to go through them all, but the first one is the one that we really need to tune into because it's like the trunk. It's the root that all these other loves flow out of. Okay? The first, God's love of us. God loves you. God loves you. Don't forget it. Don't forget to live in it. Don't forget to receive it and then give it. God loves you. Just in case you wondered that about that, Romans 5, 8 says that God showed his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hear, hear. Praise the Lord. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. We love. We love. Because he first loved us. That's what the source of all love comes from. They abandoned love. Love of God. We are called to love God. Not just a little bit, 
not just Mondays and Tuesdays, not just Sundays, every day. For to bind his word upon our hearts and our minds and our wrists and our forehead. You shall love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. From the head to the toes, from the inside to the outside, you are to love him with every fiber of who you are. And the only way you can do that is because he loves you. He loves you. They had thought, forgot that. They had abandoned that. Isn't that amazing? It kind of blows your mind. They got so wrapped up in being in 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 enduring patiently and without weariness, and and, and so wrapped up in, in correct doctrine and and good theology that they had forgot how to apply it, which is love. And don't we do the same thing? Oftentimes, we do the same thing. Third, love of brother. We're to love each other, brothers and sisters in Christ. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. Just as I have loved you. Who's the source of love again? God's love. God loves you and calls you to love others. Receive his love to give it to others. Love of neighbor, which can be hard because neighbors can be annoying. <laughs> but neighbor really means anybody, okay, that you come in contact with. But those ones next door are especially hard to love sometimes. And love of Oh, pastor, you can't say that. Yes, you have to love yourself. I already love myself too much. Well, that might be the case. But some of us don't love ourselves well enough. Some of us walk in judgment of ourselves every single day. And we're our worst enemy. The the accuser doesn't have to do any accusing. Because we sit on that wagon every single moment. You're to love your neighbor, and you're to love yourself, because you're to love your neighbor as yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudges against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. Yeah, that's in there. It's the last one. Saved it. God's love for us that we receive empowers us to love our enemies and to pray for them. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what you thought. But Jesus says, I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, we are a majority in America as Christians. We are. Now, we are going to a minority. But if you do a poll, 
it's like 60-ish percent say, I'm a Christian. That's how I identify. Now, if you press that a little bit, it goes down, right? But it's still a majority, okay? Now, when a majority is in control, it does an interesting thing culturally. Usually when something goes wrong in our culture, like, uh, well, not wrong, but there's an injustice done, right? The majority makes a lot of noise. Does that make sense? So whether it's a baker being made to bake a cake for a gay couple or something, right? You see, these are instances of persecution or or at least discrimination in some ways in our culture. But I want to ask yourselves, as you think through those different things that have come up in in our culture, or come up in our political realm, I want to ask you, how well is we as the Christian church managing that in love? It's convicting. It's very, very, very convicting. Especially as a corporate church of America. The church, American church. It's very convicting. Because you don't see a lot of engagement love-wise there. Now, I'm sure it is there. I'm not saying that there isn't. And sometimes our news media cycles, right? What do they like to do? They pick up on the negative, right? And that's all we get. So that's not a totally fair. But love loss is definitely there. Matthew uh, 24 Jesus says that uh, th- because of lawlessness, that, that many hearts uh, will grow, that they will grow cold with love. That li- like th- there will be love loss. That they will lose love in the end times. And, and, and there is that effect going on. This church in Ephesus was not a majority. They were a minority. But that doesn't change the principle of we are to love. We are to receive God's love. We are to love God. We are to love each other. We are to love our neighbor. We are going to love ourselves. We are to love our enemies. These are all commands, very clearly given to everyone. And and Jesus actually makes this, by your love, they will know that you are my disciples. And yet they had forgotten love. And sometimes as a church, we forget love. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven, For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. God God takes care of both. So which of these loves had been abandoned? I would say all of them had been abandoned. 
But I would say the critical love, which is the root and the spring of all other six love, is receiving God's love. The first love. The first love is God's love. God loves you. God loved them while they were still sinners. It doesn't get any more forced than that. We love because he first loved us. It starts being in God's love. And not just saying, oh, yeah, I know God loves me. Yeah, yeah, now I do what I want. No, <laughs> please don't. It's receiving God's love. It's living mindful in the presence of God's love. Receiving God's love to give to others. First John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. The first love is God's love for us. They had abandoned us. They were more about theology. They were more about putting their nose to the grindstone and pushing through than receiving and giving God's love. So he gives them three things. Revelation 2.5, his solution. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So Jesus' solution for kindling love, to kindle this forced love, is remember. What are we to remember? God loves you. God's love. Remember God's love. Be in that love. Receive that love. Repent. That means torn away. That means do the opposite of what you're doing. God, I forgot your love. I, I, I repent of forgetting and not practicing, receiving and giving God's love. I repent of my pride that thinks that I'm always right. <laughs> and then repeat. Remember, repent, and repeat. Repeat what? Remembering. <laughs> remembering the works we did at first. Remembering to receive and keep giving God's love. To give God's love, we have to receive God's love. And I'll tell you, receiving God's love is not a one-time event. Wouldn't that be nice? No, it, it's not a one-time event. It's a day-to-day, minute-by-minute, I am in the mindset, I am receiving God's love. And if we're not in that mindset of I am receiving God's love and God is covering me and God has got me and God is for me and who can be against me, God loves me, therefore I'm going out as God's ambassador and God's man and God's servant to pre- present God to others in a loving and winsome way. If I'm not receiving that, then when I go out there and somebody clocks me, I'm like, how dare you do that? Bam! Right? Maybe not. Probably not. I'd probably be on the ground going, what happened? (laughs) But 
or if I get in a discussion, if I'm not in the mindset of receiving, oh, God loves me, God cares about me, God's calling me to love this person, how can I love them? Maybe it's just listening to them. I don't have to be right. And I listen to them, I go, oh, yeah, wow. I don't think that way, but I, I, I see why you do. And if you ever want to know how I think, I, I'm more than happy to share. But oftentimes we're just like, no, that's wrong. Right? Or we're persecuted and we're like, call the lawyers. Defend us. Corey Timboom didn't call the lawyers when she was speaking. And she looked down and she saw the man. Was it Corey Timboom? I could have my names wrong. She saw the man that had killed her mother and her sister. Sitting there in the audience, listening to her talk on forgiveness. She was persecuted by Batman. She did not abandon her personally. She, with tears in her eyes, forgave that man for what he had done. She loved him. Before he had made it right, before he had said he was sorry, she demonstrated God's love to her, to him. We are called to do the same. That man, in so many ways, was her enemy. Good thing there's nobody sitting there. Right? But she chose to remember God's love and to receive and give God's love to that individual. And we're called to do the same, church. This is what we're called to do. And if we're making it up and we're not doing it well now, well, then we need to remember God's love. We need to repent of forgetting. And we need to repeat. We need to remember and keep receiving and giving. This is what we need to do. And if you're unwilling as a church, if we're unwilling as a church to do that, there's bad news. Because there's a consequence. The consequence is that if we, the local church, quit receiving and giving God's love, we will die as a church. We will die as a church. We might have a building, but we will not make any impact in our community. We will not be a light for the gospel because Jesus if we've abandoned all love and we will not go back to the love of giving and receiving God's love, Jesus will come and take away all lampstands. And he will remove that church, and that church will go away. And what is being held by the lampstand? The Holy Spirit. Which means the Holy Spirit leaves that church. Leaves. That's serious. Now, this isn't an issue of salvation. This is, 
churches come locally across the nation and they go. But this is one of the reasons they come and go. One of the reasons they come and go is because they forget. They abandon their first love. And the lampstand is removed. This is serious. This is the health and well uh, vitality of a church is on this. Loving God. Receiving God's love. Loving God. Loving each other. Loving our neighbors. Loving ourselves. And loving our enemies. It's so funny. I, I, you know, I don't, I, if I was writing this, I'd have just ended it right there. It's like perfect, right? Isn't that perfect? Great time to end it. But, no, Jesus comes up with another commendation, and this one's a little confusing because we don't know who these people are. Yet this I have, this you have, you hate. We're just talking about love, man. But I, he makes an interesting distinction. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, he didn't say they hate the Nicolaitans, did he? What did he say? They hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which God also hates. So we're all called to hate what God hates, which is sin and evil. And I guess the works of the Nicolaitans, we don't know what they are. Okay? These guys, we don't really know. Uh, they're also mentioned in Revelation uh, 3, 2. I think, or three, yeah, down farther. But it's still no clue. So um, I'm not even doing a Wednesday night one on that one, Ron, because that would be a really short discussion. Verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise. Of God. Hear Jesus' words spoken by the Spirit. Are you listening? I hope you are. Jesus' words are being spoken to you by the Spirit. And if you have ears, I think everybody does, we are called to hear. And this hear is called not to hear and just go away and forget about it. But this hearing is a hearing that acts, and obeys. We are more than conquerors in God's love. Amen? To the one who overcomes, I will give the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, we will talk about the tree of life and the paradise of God on Wednesday night. And we will talk about the keys of death and Hades on Wednesday night. So there's your two psalters for Wednesday night. If you want to come, you know, those will be the two topics uh, we'll be walking over on Wednesday night. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, dis 
distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. We are to receive God's love. None of these things can separate us from God's love and receiving God's love. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter, to be slaughtered. No, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. In our grit and our, no, not our grit, not our strength, but through him who loves, loved us. He loves us. He loves you. Receive his love. Give his love to others. We are given the tree of life in the paradise of God. And there's a lot of ties there, and I don't have time to talk about those. So I'm going to talk about them on Wednesday night. All right. In recap, Jesus' solution to kindling lust. One, number one, what? Remember God's love. Number two, repent, right, of forgetting God's love and not practicing receiving and giving it, right? Number three, repeat, repeat. Keep receiving and giving God's love. Keep it up. Keep doing it. Receive it. Live in it. Be in it. Be mindful of it. Bathe in it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for sending your only son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you love us. That holy trinity, you love us. May we live in your love. May we receive and give your love. May we love those around us from every walk of life. Help us to do this. And if we haven't been, help us to repent. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.